to another episode of Total Barca, where I'm joined with series regulars Aldo, Enrique and Hadi. Now, for us it's quite special as this is our third episode, and speaking of threes and lucky numbers, first up is Luis Suarez, who scored a hat-trick on the weekend against Ibar. Um, which, and, and, and for many people, that's been a return to form in, in what's been perceived as a below-par season for Suarez, especially given where he left off. Now, personally, I'd argue the contrary, but I'm going to start off by asking you, Enrique, if, is, has, has Suarez's hat-trick been long overdue? Is this just rewards for his, his tenacity, his perseverance? Um, did you expect this personally? It... I would say all of the above, Samir. <laughs> um, I think the hat-trick is pretty much just the, the norm reverting to the mean. We've been missing chances from all of our star players all season, but there's just no reason that it wasn't going to go back to them banging it in. It's not like they went to the training ground and started practicing their finishing and they got better. These are some of the best players in the world, and sometimes for whatever reason, luck and randomness doesn't go their way and they don't score, but eventually the cream rises to the top and a guy like Suarez is going to put in the goals if he put the balls in the areas that he likes. The the one thing that that's, that you know that really struck me was... All three of the goals that he took on the weekend were just pure instinct. And, and for someone like Suarez as well, I, I often feel that playing in a, system, uh, playing in a team with a system as, as regimented, really, as Barca every now and again, for him, would just, he'd feel the need to just inhibit the, his, 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 his natural flair and just his, his tendencies. Um, and that's something, honestly, this season I think we've seen a lot more of. He's trying to play not within himself, but in a means that's more conducive to the rest of the team in Messi's absence. Um, and then obviously on the weekend, you know, that's the first time in a while that he's actually played classic Suarez. Is that, is that the way forward? Or do you think, I mean, even excluding the goals themselves, because, you know, of course, you know, we'd want more of those. But just his, uh, his overall gameplay, was that any different? Or do you think that, that I'm, I'm well off the mark with that? I don't think we have to overanalyze analyze too much in this regard. Suarez is one of the best players in the world. He's been that for several years now. He's got one of the most insane competitive natures we've ever seen from any professional player. And this guy is always going to try to score and put himself in the right places and work for the team. And both score and and assist goals for others. So we just have to feel fortunate that he's around. And sometimes he's going to miss shots and sometimes people are going to lament his first touch, which I actually don't agree with because I think... For the most part, his first touch looks so bad because he's always trying to do some outrageous, outlandish flick or one-time pass that then comes off looking terrible. But when it works, it looks amazing, and it's the reason the goals go in. And also, basically, like Ibar, it's just one of those days where all his runs right off the shoulder of the striker were just perfectly timed, and he... And then you score a goal as opposed to last week when he was just... His timing was just slightly off, and then you get the flag. But... If he just tries enough, the averages are always going to go back to him putting in more goals than he misses and being one of the best players in the world. 
I mean, it was certainly his day, and um, in, in many ways, that's taken the pressure off Neymar, who's been the star performer in recent weeks, without a doubt. Um, for you, Aldo, do you do you think maybe looking to the to the to, um, to the coming games that the two of them could actually just share a bit of the burden, as opposed to one steps up and just runs the game, whereas you know, and, and alternating, or or is it just going to have to be this until Messi returns to really get the best out of everyone else? Which for me is what is what Messi does best. Right, right. I think that, um, you know, against Avar, we saw um, Neymar and Suarez kind of sharing the burden. I mean, obviously, Suarez had the hat trick, but Neymar had uh, two great assists, and I think he, he did well in leading the transitions. I mean, a lot of times you see Suarez with the off-the-ball runs, and I mean, this time we saw, um, you know, the, the goals there as well. But I, I think that they, they are sharing the burden, um, except that a lot of times it's um, Neymar doing it with the ball, whereas um, Suarez is a lot of times doing it without the ball. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. You know, I mean, I know you and I share share the tactical review responsibilities, and just off the ball runs from from Suarez for me are just one of one of the the pillars of Luis Enrique's team. I mean, without it, there's there's no space for anyone else to run into. So, I mean, definitely that's that's very very true. Um, I mean, but something. To, sorry, go ahead, Enrique. We would have to say that Suarez is is one of the strikers in football who just moves the most. It's it's incredible how the whole game he's just looking to try to find a way to get past the, the defenders, just interweaving between them, running, stopping, trying to hide from them. He does it consistently the whole game, and that's not something you can say for many strikers in the game. The, the thing for me, which is it just, it's, it's crazy, because it often just looks, it, especially given how deep Barca tend to play in opposition halves, it looks so odd to see Suarez still isolated. And I, I say that with, you know, with, with some trepidation, trepidation, and I will qualify that, but he's just often going and doing his own lone battle. He's just always wedged between both centre-backs, trying to just either split them, drag them out wide. But it's just it's so strange to see that he's just, you know, a bit, a bit a bit disjointed. But as we've said, given his game and what he brings to the team, it's always going to be that way. Um, but just to move away from Suarez very briefly, um, one, one player who has been playing rather unexpectedly, not in terms of performance, but in terms of position, of course, in recent weeks has been Sergio Busquets. And I know, Hadi, you're a very, very big fan of Busquets, as our numerous Twitter gift battles and whatnot would attest to. Um, <laughs> has, has, his, has, his, has his position from, from Pivote to just an out-and-out central mid taken you by surprise at all? Or do you, do you really think this is something Busquets always could have done, but just the fact that he's, for me, the best um, holding mid in the world means that we just haven't had to use him in this way? Um, to be frank, I didn't really see him just slotting in there the way he did against Eibar. But I think it, it's coming down to the consistency. Um, he's been playing there for like three games now, and certainly you just get into it. You get into the mentality of playing from that place. And also against Eibar, he was, uh, he was playing on the left instead of the usual uh, playing on the right as an interior. And I think uh, for, um, that could have helped as well. Um, but the most beautiful thing I saw, besides the the three uh, Suarez uh, screamers throughout the match, was how um, Busquets just before even receiving the ball, he just sets up his angle to, to send in that one touch pass and and shatter the the opposition defense or midfield. It was so beautiful. I mean, definitely in terms of, in terms of setting yourself up and, and knowing what you're going to do with the ball before you get it. There's <laughs> There's one player really far and away who just set the standard. I don't want to take his name because everyone's going to you know burst out into tears. You know, a little bit of a hint is he's he's he's, uh, he's playing guitar right now. But 
a friend of mine sent me sent me a text the other well during the game rather saying that Busquets was the closest thing he's ever seen to that player who will go unnamed for the time being. Um, is that is that just you know mid match mid match hyperbole, or do you think Busquets could play an identical role to? I'm running out of just you know different ways to call him. Well, Barca's Barca's once conductor and former captain. Um, seeing seeing the way he played the. Um, Against Eibar, I think the he could be he he could, he certainly can do that, but um, I think we need to see it against a few more um, in a few more matches against uh, perhaps a better opposition, and then we could really set a judgment because that's that's a really high standard and Busquets has proven um, world class in in the pivote position, and so we we need we need those few more matches. Uh, as an interior to set final judgment, you know. Um, I'm going to jump in here, guys. Um, I think that uh, we're seeing Busquets there basically out of necessity, and um, I don't, I don't think there's going to be a lot of continuity of him in this sort of role. I think uh, once the midfield's sorted out, he'll be back in his usual defensive midfield position. Um, and again, I think we've we've sort of, um, you know, as, as hard as it is to say, moved on from. Xavi and, and that sort of uh, style of play and I think I think it's not a question of whether Busquets can do it I think it's more a question is this is what given a full squad Luis Enrique will want um, from this midfield well Aldo lifted the secret on Samir's a mysterious <laughs> player name but I think there's a reason that so-called mysterious player said that uh, Busquets is one of the best players he's ever played with and I think he's or maybe it was, uh, yeah, Xavi said some high praise of Busquets, even though I think it was Del Bosque who said that if he could be any player, he would be Sergio Busquets. But I believe Xavi said about Busquets that he was the best passer he'd ever seen. Right, right. I'm, I'm not denying that again. I just think that we're, we have to, again, look at how this team plays right now currently and um, sort of see where where Busquets is best placed. And I, and I just think that once... Iniesta gets back, and once we sort of have the you know the, the midfield won't be in as tough a position as it is right now with so many injuries. I think you know we we won't be seeing Busquets in, in these more advanced roles. And I mean I I think I mentioned this before, but um, one of the good things about Busquets at left midfield is the fact that he's very close to Neymar, and the way that he'll you know steal the ball, win back possession. He's able to um, play it to Neymar very quickly, and then Neymar, of course, can can start these um, counterattacks. But um, you know, in terms of some of the the downsides and, and the way that Luis Enrique's um, mid, you know, right and mid left midfielders have to play, they they need to be very vertical. And I think that a lot of times this can sort of expose Busquets, who um, you know, obviously very positionally aware player, but doesn't um, have that pace and physicality maybe to um, be able to play in that role uh, for long periods of time. I was definitely not a disagreeing with you, Aldo. It is very much, a, it is totally a thing of necessity that Busquets is playing there, and then when everybody comes back, he should return to the defensive midfield role, where I, I actually don't think Marciano was too good against Ibar overall, let alone for the red card. It looked really slow to me. Also, on the first goal, the just just sucked. Such a firstly, such a sloppy goal, infuriating actually for me. So I mean, I, I can't imagine being on on a Luis Enrique's technical team. But with Mascherano as well, at, at 
at so many points, if he just stuck a foot out, that pass was not going to, you know, that ball for the goal was not coming in. And as you rightly said, it wasn't Mascherano's best performance, which, of course, I mean, elephant in the room, apart from, well, Xavi now, um, was Mascherano's red card. And, you know, for, for Barca, we've always, we've always had players just in, in, in referees' ears, for, for better or for worse. But this is the second time, of course, after, after PK's rather infamous X-rated expletive-laden rant, which can't be repeated here, of course, for obvious reasons, that we've had a centre-back sent off for dissent. And I wouldn't bet against Mascherano being suspended for, for more than just the one game. Um, so do you, do you think that Mark Bartra's done enough to earn, to earn his place back? Or has Jeremy, Jeremy Mathieu going to be the, the go-to as per? Or even Sergio Busquets, actually, seeing as he's jack-of-all-trades these days. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I think uh, we'll probably see Mathieu. Um, I think they're being especially careful with Vermalen. I think he's ready, but because of his injury history, they haven't really wanted to risk him. Um, again, I, I prefer not to talk too much about uh, refereeing decisions and all of that. Uh, I prefer to focus on, on other matters. But it is ridiculous in Spain, the inconsistency on that, because players swear at refs all the time. So why one gives a red card and the other doesn't is something that the league would, theoretically, if there was actually somebody living and breathing there and doing their job, they would be actually trying to mandate a level of consistency. But we know in Spain that's not the case. And then, of course, we've had this very outlandish... Um, accusation over the past week about biases from referees being told to favor certain teams by the actual national federation. That's uh, that's that's very diplomatically phrased, phrased, Enrique. I must say, you've done Diego Simeone absolutely just a massive disservice, but but very well put. <laughs> um, at, a, at a wider level, do you, do any of you foresee? any institutional level changes in, in Spain in terms of consistency, uh, especially, or just... Never. Just, just you know, actual efficient just... organization? <laughs> I doubt that. Absolutely not. Mañana, guys, mañana. Yeah, not, not, not anytime soon. <laughs> like Hamas. <laughs> <laughs> I think this would be uh, an ideal time to take a quick break, and... After the break, we'll talk about, well, institutional level changes, but um, a lot closer to home. So there's a lot more in store after the break. You wouldn't want to miss it, and we'll be back with you shortly. everyone where you're here for the second part of the third episode of, of total podcast now before the break i'd insinuate that we'd be talking about in-house institutional level matters and you know we are going to but just to kick that off i'm going to just quiz you for a second enrique because you wrote a piece that, I'm, that i absolutely adore which is the, the financial piece which for all listeners out there if you haven't read you should check out because it is absolutely fantastic um but hype and, and you know all of that not uh, notwithstanding do you think, Enrique, that the if you just give us a, a very quick recap, obviously not, not to, to retread the whole article, but the, the claim that Barca have been in the best economic health in recent history, is that substantial or is that just another one of many claims that some would argue that this board, either in this regime or the leftovers of the last one, have, have just put out there in terms of you know music to, to, to fans' ears? Uh, 
you're too kind, sir, for those words. But um, I think overall it is certainly at least a reasonable statement to make. I mean, Barca as a club, if you look over its history at large, it's, it's never really been a well-run financial club. But this year, as opposed to last year, what is true is that the club made significantly more real money in terms of core business operations, which is basically coming down to marketing nowadays. We've all seen the litany of sponsors, and we're, 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 we're reaping the rewards of that. And of course, by winning the Champions League, we made a huge amount of UEFA, a huge amount of money from UEFA in that regard. So of course, if we could follow that up again this season, it would be very good for the for the counts. Um, uh, but I think the most kind of important part of the financial piece is the sense that. We're not really sure what's going to happen in the next 12 months, and a lot of good things can happen. There's a very real chance that we're going to be making massive amounts of new profits with nothing basically more than our uniform because we're currently renegotiating the Qatar Airways deal, and we are expected to be selling the rights to our training kits separately as well as the fact that we'll be sitting down with Nike to renegotiate a deal that's outdated if you look at look at it against the deals that Manchester United and Bayern Munich yeah. are coveting. So as I put in the piece, we could actually be seeing an increase in revenue year to year of more than 100 million euros extra, which is just a huge amount of money for nothing more than renegotiating deals that are not are not fitting anymore for the stature that Barca are. We should not be playing second fiddle to any club in terms of how much we're paid to put their branding on our shirt or anywhere else in the stadium because we now are pretty much the elite club in world football, one of the super clubs, and we should be paid accordingly. Well, I mean, that's firstly very, very, very comprehensive uh, just summary of everything. Uh, and and most, I was most interested by the fact when you said the club's going to be actually making yearly profits, um, or at least should do. Now, ideally, or at least you know, fans-wise, we always love flashing new players and just immediate reinvestment. But that's quite unlikely given the uh, the much-touted Espai Barca project, which is in the mill, you know. And then, do you, do you do you especially Aldo? Because I know I know you and I have had some chats about the board every now and then. But do you think that? It's going to be a case of just just filling up the uh, the company coffers, um, a, la, a la Arsene Wenger, from the move from Highbury to, from Highbury to the Emirates, or could Barca, you know, maybe keep keep a very diverse portfolio in terms of actually how they're spending the money that, that they're set to be making? Yeah. Uh, b- before we get into that, I mean, I I, I think uh, maybe um, Enrique's obviously looked at the numbers a bit more, but I think that in the same way that there can be a lot of optimism there there you know there are many reasons to be um seriously worried as well i mean obviously bartumel is uh very much involved in you know with the possibility of him even going to jail over the the neymar case and i mean you know the 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 problem is is you know if we're we're a team that's just won the trouble how are we still struggling to come up with sponsors how is it you know such a problem to get in you know a strong economic situation you know, while um, you know, if, if, if the clubs if the clubs' finances are in such good shape, I think there's some sort of uh, miscommunication with Luis Enrique in terms of not allowing him to go out and spend money on a player like Nolito, who the 
who the board has kind of been saying is a little bit too expensive and we should look for a cheaper option. So I, I think there are, um, you know, without wanting to get too critical of the board because, you know, we could go on and on, but the there are also reasons in terms of the recent economic news to be sort of critical of, of, um, of what the board is telling us um, in terms of transparency as well. Um, Tony Reyes, who's one of the um, compromisaris, one of the associates that was at Sunday's um, general meeting, brought up a lot of these good points in terms of the economic situation of the club. And it kind of shows how the, again, once more, the associates are very, um, are very critical of, of this current board. And, I mean, a lot of that also is then uh, brought together with the Aspire Barca in terms of how much that will cost and what the, the details are. And the way that it's been brought about is um, very worrisome to a lot of a lot of coulés because they're, they're, they're seeing a lack of transparency in, in how they're, they're, you know, talking about this switch. I would have to jump in here and say that even though I think I have – I may have a perception of being a, a board of apologist, which I'm certainly not. And we also have to remember that this is a new board. So in a way, it's a little bit boring and maybe a bit unfair that we keep bringing all the issues forward perpetually forever. And the point I'm making here is I think that this current administration administration are in this impossible damned if you, you do, damned if you don't situation. I really don't think they can do anything without some sort of smug remark or irony about how it's certainly not authentic or dishonest and I think that's a bit unfair to be honest that even if they say the most amazing positive thing there'll be some sort of critical analysis about why that's just fake and not true and dishonest and coming from the the, the mouth of an absolute devil liar or something and <laughs> it's I think a little bit unfair and I mean if you look yep. at Football as an industry, this is not an industry where finances are like some unbelievable thing that are properly managed everywhere. I mean, most clubs are running deficits. Most clubs are making losses. Most clubs have debt, and it's just the, the lay of the land. And the whole thing is that football is not a business to make money. Football is a business to win trophies. And as long as you're winning and as long as things are going well on the field, you're basically a, you're basically – achieving your objective what's going to happen in the future is more murky the investment in the spy barca project is huge it's probably more than people think it should be but at the same time we're worrying now but if things go well in the next four to five years on the pitch then a lot of this worry will be for nothing and if there's one i don't think this board is stupid to be honest they may not make the smartest decisions they may not make the best pr savvy decisions but to say that they're stupid, I, I don't think is true. I mean, you, you've raised a lot of very interesting points there. The, the one thing that just didn't quite sit right was that football is not about money. I, I'd love to believe that, but I mean, you can make a very substantial or very strong argument that, that nowadays no. it is, which obviously is, isn't, you know. No, no, football, football is about money because you need money to be successful, but the purpose of a football club is not to make profits. You don't get any special awards for being the most profitable club in the world. That does nothing. You're, you have to use your money for sporting reasons. To, to just build up massive profits and massive belt balances is a waste of money. It just does nothing. But, but would you argue that this club is being run in terms of the way the board's running it is to make profit? 
No, I don't think the purpose is to make profit. There's no. That's, you, not, saying, that's not the purpose, but that's how the club is sort of being run right now. I would argue, and I mean, I didn't want to make you sound as a apologist or whatnot. No, I no, think no, it's, I, it's, it's nothing to do with you, Aldo. It's yeah. something I've heard no, just from I, different people. I think you make a good point that, and, and one of the good examples of this is what Bartumeo said in terms of his support for Proy, of course, after um, the the tough news last week, he. He came out and supported him, but you know, no matter what he said, it's going to be viewed as as hypocritical. So I think there's there's some grain of truth to to um, some of the the points you're making, but um, I think that the current um, the way the current club is run, there's a lot of uh, socies and a lot of coulés uh, throughout Catalonia and the world that are worried about how um, the direction of the club is heading in um, on it as an institution, and that you know, of course, can't be separated from the pitch. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the issues are much less about numbers and about perception. We have the Qatar Airways, which of course brings about a lot of questions of why are we in cahoots with this country that has been getting just huge amounts of bad press for very real and very serious reasons. I mean, Bartomeu himself came out at some point publicly and said that they'd have to relook at the deal when, when the... The Amnesty International reports started coming about the migrant abuses in Qatar, which are, is a very serious issue, and it's something that has to be taken extremely seriously. And to be honest, I'll come back to what Aldo said before about the lack of sponsors, which is so hard for us on the outside to know. But in one way, I would agree, and I honestly don't believe that Qatar Airways, or Qatar basically, is the only person out there who is willing to offer us some huge 75 million euro deal. I think there'd be many people who would be wanting to associate their name now with one of the biggest brands in football. And this is where I think criticism is fair, is why do we have to go to just this person? Why can we not think about more if we want to associate our values of the club with a, a country and frankly, in Qatar Airways as, a, as an organization has received huge amounts of criticisms for some of their labor policies. So yes, why do we have to, by all means, only have these people as our sponsors? You see, but by way of extrapolation, that's what I think why a lot of people have issues with the club, because right now the board purports to be, purports itself to be financial experts, but as you've said, there are numerous financial points that they've actually, I mean, I don't want to say inept or incompetent, but surely they've, un they've actually underperformed. And then another thing which you said earlier, which is very true, um, which was, was that... Um, the, the on-the-pitch performances have actually saved this board a lot of flack, and so long as people keep winning, no one's going to care about profit margins, which is true, but then something I've heard a lot um, from a lot of our, 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 our readers especially is that this board's sort of get, gotten repeated get-out-of-jail-free cards just because of the fact that we're still picking up three points, you know, week in, week out. Is, uh, it, does that in any way... Should it impact how we see the board? Is that is should they be just you know living vicariously off off the benefits of the first team, or when it comes to something actually substantial and material that they can affect in terms of sponsors? Is do do you really see an actual substantial change being made? Yeah, I have two comments, uh, but I think you guys uh, you you sort of covered up the first when you said you know about Qatar being the only option. Because Tony Reyes in the in the Assemblea he went he, he asked Bartomeu, um, why is it about Qatar C, Qatar no? Why why is there no other option? Unfortunately unfortunately I couldn't see I didn't get the chance to see how Bartomeu answered. And um, 
Something else I wanted to say when Aldo mentioned if the club is uh, being run for the sake of profit. Um, one of the reasons the, the board came in, this this board got voted or they won the, the preceding board was because they they ran the whole sort of uh, La Porta mismanaged the money campaign and so on. And so it was certainly, the economics was the, the biggest factor that got them in, that got Sandro Rosalin. And the one that that kept and, and re-elected uh, almost for Bartomeu, yeah, and and got Bartomeu re-elected. So I think that's one of the reasons um, they're running this whole the profit-based thing, where where they just keep on oh we we have, we have the best year ever, we have the largest profit ever. Um, that's that's I think that's the main reason why why this is going on. Yeah, part of maybe, maybe... not maybe not because they themselves. I don't think they themselves are, are getting personal profit, maybe because of side deals with Qatar or something, but not 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 right right out of the club, you know. No, there, the, there's there's sorry, Enrique, go ahead. No, the point of making profits is to bank them. They're banking it for the S by Mars investment because they've said that 200 million of that is going to be funded in house. So. Because every year since 2010 we've posted a profit, some of that is being kept aside that will eventually go into funding. But the only sort of legislative reason that you would have to make profits is to keep up with FFP. And frankly, the FFP requirement is that you just don't make more than a 44.5 million loss in three years and or 45 million loss over three years, and Barca are just nowhere even near that. So we're perfectly fine in the UEFA FFP uh, regulations. And yes, maybe there is a little bit of PR in that, yes, we're making profits, but it's still not a bad thing to make profits, and the profits are being about 30 to 15 million. So they're not exorbitant. They're not like they're banking money and not using it. Um, but at the same time, you know, this profit is... It's not just out of um, extremely, uh, extremely good management or something. It's not. Um, it's not miraculous management no. in any way. I mean, no. I mean, um, they had to. They had to get all of these new sponsorships and, you know, uh, rebranding the Camp Nou is even on the table. Um, yeah. No, it's certainly not absolutely. some miraculous business savants here. I mean, they're all benefiting from the fact that they've come into the part of the club where we have the best team in the in this in the in this century and they're just basically reaping those rewards you have the best team you're going to make the most money and people are going to want to be associated with you so no no this is hardly genius this is just them being at the right place at the right time and and managing it at a reasonable level i mean in terms in terms of, of our respective our you know, varied respective degrees of affection for this board. I think we can all come to the conclusion that bottom line is they will be making money for better and for worse. Is it the right amount of money we should be making? Should we be making more? Whatever it is, the profits are going to roll in. And that's, you know, as, as we've sort of alluded to, not necessarily due to the, you know, stunning financial prowess of, of, this, of this board, but one thing that they can do and some would argue need to do is actually make the club more transparent. And I remember this was one of the big points during the elections where every single candidate just pledged to have the club be you know, totally see-through. But to, to date, we've not really seen anything that would indicate that being the case. And I remember there was something that was quite controversial when, when Bartomeu was asked about the, the B-team struggles and their, them being relegated. His, his solution was, 
you know, I'm, I'm, it's not an exact quote, but something that some, something to the effect of that you should just, you know, let them be and just just stop talking about it, which obviously is a massive discrepancy from someone who you know claimed to have an, a, a sort of open book governance. Do you, do do you especially how do you think that we will see more transparency in the club, or is that just one of those very open ended, vague sort of notional sort of sweeping statements, or or will they actually materially be? A more open club, and given Barca's actual structure and the way that it's run, it certainly could be conducive to that. But is that something that 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 needs to be done firstly, and that you see being done, given the uh, the current board? Um, I don't think that would happen any soon. I mean, unless we do something stunning happens with regards to uh, a new sponsorship deal. You know, we if we become the the bi- we get the biggest sponsorship deal in the world or something. But otherwise, I don't think I don't think they have any any real incentive to just, you know, just become transparent outright and show everyone everything at the moment. They don't really have that need unless the, um, the board, the, the position of the board comes in danger. And, but that's not, that's not the case. It won't be any, any soon, I think. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want to like set off any alarm bells, but across the board, do you do any of you think that we could see another, another well, God forbid, another, another Neymar case or another, you know, financial legal scandal as well, actually. No, I don't or, think we'll see anything like that. I think they learned they learned their lesson from the from the whole Neymar case and the all the all the courts we have been, we've been going through. And at the same time I think, you know, Hafer Faust is, is out now. And um, he was he was a big part of, of all those shady deals that were happening and so on, especially with with the Neymar case and with Qatar. And I think th- things will get better, not necessarily um, they will become perfect or anything, but they will get a bit better for them. I mean, you, you see, you've said they've learned from their mistakes, but something that for me was one of the running jokes of the summer was just the, the, first, the first option rights on, on, on South American players. And for, for whatever reason, Brazil seems to be one of our, our great hotspots in, in recent years, and um, foreseeably will be given how Barca allegedly have still have more first option rights on, believe it or not, more Santos youth players. And given the way that actual deals are structured in South America with third-party ownership and agents playing a really integral role, I could definitely see there being more potential for, for tricky sort of situations, such as Neymar's case. And uh, personally, I mean, I, I, it could be rational on my part, but I really don't see the board having learned that much. I still see the same, you know, as you said, shady deals, which, you, you know, you raise a few eyebrows and go, wait a minute, how is that structured? We've supposedly paid a down payment of, of 2 million euros. Is that legal? Is it not? Was it paid? How are they conflicting sources? What does that actually secure tangibly for the club? So uh, I, th- I don't quite know if I'd, if I'd personally agree with that, but maybe... Um. Isn't Barca going to make some money now off uh, Gerson for having the first option that Roma's going to now buy out? I thought I read that somewhere. Yeah, actually, I, I, uh, I, I'm not fully up to date with it, but I, I read, I read um, yeah. a headline saying, saying, saying that will happen. But, I think um, the practice of put, buying first options on players is really very prevalent in football. It's nothing new. It's nothing crazy. And... I know this is not a popular opinion. It's something I've written about several times before with the Neymar deal, but there is something in uh, the lands that we live in of uh, guilty innocent until proven guilty, rather. <laughs> and look, I worked in finance for quite a long time, and I can tell you from personal experience that interpretations of tax 
is a thing that happens. I was in a, a lot of projects where companies were in disagreement with the tax authorities about how they recognize certain costs, how they recognize certain projects, certain revenue items, and of course the the tax authority is always going to try to get as much tax as possible, and they're always going to say no. This is it's the type of revenue that gets us the most money, and the company says no. We actually think it's this because of this certain accounting principles, and I can tell you that these accounting principles are open to interpretation. How you look at it, which is what Bartomeu has said the whole time, and so far after all these years, no court has said that for sure anything strictly illegal has been done, and the fact is that. I think this is also a situation regarding this Spain's economy. Look, it's no, there is, it's not a coincidence that all these players are being now looked into tax evasion. It's because the the country is going through economical problems, and the tax authority is trying to collect as much money as possible. But also because the tax authority is trying to run a good PR campaign and tell the common folk. Okay, we're actually going for the guys with all the money who have been hiding their money, and then this money is going to go back to you, and you guys are going to have better lives because Spain is known as a country that's been very lax with tax collection for a long time, particularly for the elite people. So there, it's a much more complex issue of just oh, we try to not pay as much money and we try to do something scandalous. There is a lot more texture and layers to what's happening. No, but 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 you see, with, with as as you've gone in and then laid out more of the context quite quite wonderfully, that it it it, it sits even more um, bizarrely for me right now because okay, sure, economically Spain's not having the greatest of times. Yes, the tax authority wants once more, blah blah blah, whatever. So clearly, if they're trying to maximize, if the Inland Revenue Commission is trying to maximize their their intake, essentially, that first and foremost for Barca should be a clue to be a transparent, which we've not really seen. And also, when you mentioned, you know, the, the economic realities and whatnot, does it does it not at least conceptually? I mean, I, I know you, I know you have financial experience. And, you know, for me, having having a you know having almost finished my law degree, of course, I know that, you, know, you can have different interpretations and creative. You, know, you can get creative with the, with accounts books. But does it not conceptually just seem odd to you that with, if the Gerson story is true, we've actually made money on a player who's yet to, who's never worn our shirt, most likely never will, but that's money going in the bank that will presumably, I mean, one hopes, will be declared for the tax, tax authorities. But even with such shady structures going on, the club's not really made any, any steps towards being more open book. I honestly think it's a matter of timing because if you went back to the Laporte administration, and I think if people took a close look to the Kirsten and Enrique deals, I don't think they'd like what they find. Okay, that's that's very true. Because I was actually just about to bring that up just to make it seem, you know, just to play a bit of devil's advocate. But yeah, uh, absolutely right. I mean, that's that's quite fair. And historically um, as well, we haven't really had the uh, the smoothest running boards, have we? Um, just one comment with regard to the Gerson deal and on the first option talk. I think I th- I have this hypothesis. I'm not really sure, but I think part of that is because you know with the Neymar deal there were about 40 million going to his father's uh, scouting company or something. Yeah. And and it may be just to make um, to 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 you know give that the the vibe that. You know, they're actually doing some work, you know, the the sort of scouting company between quotations is actually, you know, scouting players and we're we're buying first options for these players. Um, It may be a a kind of conspiracy theory, but I mean, there could could be ground to that, you know. 
I, I don't even know if it's, if it's a conspiracy so much as what they actually claim because, uh, I mean, it's been a while since I've actually looked at the, the, the financial details, but as you said, 40 million went to Neymar. I think 17 million went to Santos. We they, There was something to do with uh, with friendly-related incentives when they got absolutely trashed at the uh, at the Gamper of 7-0. And I think part of the one of the little sub-clauses in the deals was that by buying Neymar, Barca would expressly have first option rights on two or three Santos kids. I cannot remember. Obviously, Gerson's a Fluminense anyways, but I still, I think, I still think there, there are some kids who just by virtue of that deal now, what is it, three years later, are still technically legally attached to Barca in, in, in just a very distant, very odd way. I don't... I think Hattie's right. We ha- There is suspicion. We can't pretend like this is... Of course, the scouting arrangement is not 100% legit, but my main question has always been, if Real Madrid had made this deal, if Bayern Munich had made this deal, if Chelsea had made this deal, if Man City had made this deal, would anybody ever have talked about this deal again? And I think the answer is no. No one would have looked into it and everything would have gone on as normal because I think things like deals like this happen all the time, way more than we will ever know. And it's just because no one looked into it. No one looks into the majority of these South American third party deals. And that's the reason we just don't have these scandals happening all the time. I mean, I, I, I don't want to be getting my facts wrong, so I will say I'm not exactly sure about this. But didn't the whole Neymar case... Wasn't it actually a conspiracy only after um, one of our associates, I've forgotten his name, Jordi uh, yes. Casas, was it? Yes. Yeah, so so as actually just building on what you said, I suppose if in-house we hadn't even brought it up, it might it likely never would have actually surfaced. Which yep. which to me is, is, is quite is quite an interesting is quite an interesting thought that Barca in many ways is actually governing itself, which again is 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 how it's set up to be with with the whole soci system, but that's probably... It's a very interesting point. It's something that I would like to reverse a question on to Aldo or you, Samir, that what exactly do you want from transparency? What does that word mean to you? Well, yeah, I think Samir just mentioned it, the, t- the fact that it had to be a soci, uh, Mr. Casas, that, that brought up this case. And I think just, just um, going back for a second... Um, I, I mean, a lot of this talk is, I mean, we've, we've been mentioning this a lot in the past as well. I, I think that rather than there being another case like this or another um, big scandal, I think we're just going to see the consequences of of what has happened so far. I don't think we're going to be seeing another, uh, you know, big case. I think they're just going to be having to deal with and, and learning to to live with what, what's being done so far. So um, in, in that sense, um, yeah, with with regards to... To, to transparency, that's, I think, the biggest thing, is that's, that's what a lot of associates want, and, and that's how the club, again, is structured. And, you know, just the fact that we haven't had the most transparent boards in the past doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive for something better right now. And to, if, if I can have just a, a very brief take on it, I mean, I know transparency is a very nebulous concept, and you can, it's basically whatever, whatever you want to make out of it. But, but my answer can be just very, very simple, one sentence. And this is nothing against the player... Um, Keep in mind, I'm, I'm buzzing more than most to see, and I've, I've absolutely loved Arda Turan for a very long time. But to me, transparency and, and the, the sort of trans- transparency that I'm talking about means that I'd never, ever want to see a signing like Arda made in, the, in those circumstances. And it's something I've written about before, and it's, it was completely unprecedented at the time. And for me, I, I mean, I, I don't want to obviously go over something that's, that's long since done and has absolutely no consequence now. 
But for me, was, those were just frankly outrageous circumstances. I and, agree uh, with that, Samir. And I think actually you could say that there was a whole lot less transparency and sort of nefarious activity in that transfer than in the Neymar transfer. I mean, well, well, certainly. I mean, obviously, legally, there are, no, there are no real repercussions that would ever come from the order deal. But that was a lot more unsettling to me that in, in since 1899, when the club was founded, not a single signing has ever been made without a sitting president. And it was just it was just so casual. From one day to the next, yeah, Paul Pogba's on the way. Laporta's there, you know, I've been, I don't know, WhatsApping, you know, right, or whatever. And then there you have it. Our artists are at the club. And I absolutely agree. That was underhanded. But at the end of the day, they had an, uh, they called elections, right? And they got elected. So at what point do we just move on with our lives? <laughs> uh, so there's a Liverpool joke to be made in there somewhere, but it's probably best to stay, <laughs> stay away with it. Well, on that note, looking to the future, there's a lot more to look, after, look forward to after the break, where we'll, be, where we'll be discussing the upcoming Copa del Rey game. So don't go anywhere. everyone it's time for our last segment of this episode of total podcast where we'll be briefly discussing barca's upcoming copa del rey game against Novense. very very new team who a lot of us haven't seen very much about but more interestingly is the fact that reportedly and i do say reportedly because in the break a lot of us were looking for actual confirmation of it which is yet to come from the from the official first team site um, four B players in the form of Aitor, Samper, Gumbau, and Kaptum, of course, have been called up for, well, so allegedly been called up for the squad. Now, Hadi, you've seen a lot of these players for a very long time, especially Kaptum, and in the break you said there was an absolutely great story about him, so if you wouldn't mind sharing that with us and our listeners. Uh, um, so, Kaptum um, has been injured for a while. Um, he has a, a pretty bad injury history, and um, you know it's it's sad because he's a great player. He can produce magic. Um, um, so um, a week ago on October 13th, uh, he had his comeback, and um, and he actually went and celebrated with the physios after he came on the pitch. Oh, that's nice. So it was it was a beautiful image, you know. After you've seen you've seen this player suffer for more than a year with injuries, constantly in and out, most of the time he's out, and then you know the first the first person he thinks of after after he completes his comeback was going and hugging the physios on the side of the pitch. It was beautiful. That's a, that's, that's a very cute story, and also a great <laughs> shout out to to some of the underrated people just in, in club football clubs around the world, not not even exclusively Barca. But um, for for maybe some of our, our listeners who haven't seen much of Captoom as as you in particular and, and and in the last couple of years myself as well, could you maybe describe how he how he plays? What's what's his playing style? And uh, really, could could he could he have a, a realistic shot at maybe cracking the first team in the next let's say five years? Okay, so first, with regarding to the to the shot at the first team, I think it depends on the injuries, uh, just like. Uh, just like I said, he has a lot of them, and uh, he's a bit like he's he's a he's a he's a worse version of uh, Thiago when it comes to injuries. 
Uh, and you can imagine how, how bad that is. But I think uh, yeah. a very good a very good description of his game was uh, was put up by uh, Marti Perarnau when he said, you know, um, if you look at uh, Captoon play, you could see hints of a hybrid between Xavi and uh, Zidane. And that's a pretty interesting hybrid, I think. He's a center midfielder. He, uh, As I just said, he can produce... Uh, very big uh, magical moments. He has a, a really good technical flair, and uh, you know he works really hard. Of course, when he's on the pitch. I mean, I, I'd seen I'd seen that tweet uh, as well, and I, I mean, firstly, what a comparison. Um, but I mean, obviously, Xavi and Zidane, two very very different players. So with a hybrid, I mean, does that sort of insinuate that he can he can play both of those roles that either of them had? Or is it just that he has that, that, that technical flair and that ability and that eye for a pass that can also maybe, is, is maybe more mobile, Alessi done more so than Xavi? Yeah. His, his vision is a bit, um, is a bit you know, if you want to compare it to, to a big established player, you could say his vision is a bit Xavi-ish, you know. He sees all of the ends of the pitch. He's always ready to give um, passes you don't really expect. But the way he moves around, the way he, he controls the ball, he... Those little techniques he uses to dribble past players and so on, those are, are the Zidane part of him. And I think I, I can relate to to what Marti said about uh, Kaptoum. I mean, that's, the, okay, that's, 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 yeah, that's definitely quite fair. But I mean, amongst the, uh, the other three, Samper and Gumbau are very familiar, familiar faces around, <laughs> around Total Barza, but um, Aitor is, is not one. Can you can can any of you guys give me a very brief description of, of how he plays and what there is to look forward to? I'm, I'm sure it's not going to be another another Chavi Zidane hybrid, but um, that being said, that's that's still all right. Um, um, Aitor is a is a forward. He's, he usually plays on the wing. Um, I've I've personally seen him play across all three uh, all three forward positions at Barca. Um, I mostly saw him play at. Juvenila and recently at Barca B. Um, he's he's not really special, you know, but he's a runner. He he does as much effort as needed. Um, I'm not sure, you know. I I don't personally. I don't think he has um, this great of a future at Barca, but I think uh, it will be interesting to see him for the first team, especially if he features, you know, on the right wing where where Messi is not uh, is not uh, playing right now. Yeah, I mean, there's, 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 there's nothing, there's no spotlight like the, uh, the right wing at Barca. But um, on, on that note, actually, although you, you and I have actually talked about the fact that some, some youth players have just been dro- seemingly dropped in to, to Messi's spot with, with obviously Sandro and Munir. Um, will, will Aitor be the same? And do you, do you reckon Luis Enrique will play all four youth players against Fiorentina or maybe go f- a bit, a, or, yeah, maybe, I, or maybe I, select his team cautiously? No, I, I think he will he will do a lot of rotation. I mean, if you look at Luis Enrique's time at Barca, he always rotates a lot, um, has a tendency to rotate players. So I, I think in terms of the front three against Villanovense, we're going to see, um, as, as much as I would expect, I think we're going to see um, Aitor Cantolapiedra on the right wing and then Munir maybe in the middle and Sandro on the left. I mean, we've, we've definitely discussed how Sandro and Munir are both being used interchangeably by Luis Enrique so far this season. Um, and I think this time um, against a lesser opponent, um, you know, in the Spanish third division in Segunda B, we're going to see that um, we're going to see them at, at their natural positions. Um, 
and I'm not, I'd be surprised if, if Luis Enrique doesn't heavily rotate. I think in terms of fitness levels and, and fatigue, the team needs a break, and they're going to try to rest as many players as they can. But, I, but I, again, I think that that front three will be will be interesting to see how he um, how Luis Enrique decides to integrate the, the first team players and the other um, youth players. I mean, do you, do you think a move in the middle for Munir could actually be beneficial, um, as is obviously his natural position, or has he finally been settling into a rhythm and a groove in, in the right wing? Do you think maybe no. that could destabilize his whole his whole recent progress? Or yeah, that, that's a good, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I think I think the problem is is also not just in terms of their position, but kind of the expectations. Whereas a game like this in the middle, I think they're gonna there's not as much um, you know there's not as much pressure. Um, against a high-quality opponent. So he's he's going to be a lot more comfortable in the middle, and I don't think it'll be um, a problem for him. I think right now, in terms of his development, he's just, again, um, getting as many minutes as possible. Alongside Sandro, I don't think Luis Enrique differentiates between the two that much. In terms of all this Sandro versus Munir debate, I think um, you know he's just kind of playing one, one game, subbing him in last one, the other one, in 20 minutes on the wing and then doing vice versa the next match. So I think this time we'll see them in their normal positions, just kind of give them some more time, see if they either one of them really proves themselves. But I don't think that Luis Enrique has really um, seen enough from them to, one, give them more responsibilities on the right wing and ask them to do more in that position, or two, to really be worrying about whether it matters if Munir's in the center or on the right. I think he's just going to... Um, you know, put out a, a a team that'll that'll be fine against uh, Vienna Vence. I mean, looking at the, look, applying that same logic about just dropping players in holistically to the to the whole front line, it's it, all all of the uh, of the MSN have quite defined roles. Do you tactically think? I mean, obviously we can expect a, a drop mm-hmm. in quality, but do you tactically think that that this team will be set up any differently, or that, that the roles will be interchangeable? Which for me, uh-huh. absolutely not. I mean, I think maybe, maybe, maybe um, Sandra will will tend to uh, come in centrally, but I don't, I don't see them interchanging that much. And I think even since Messi's um, injury, I, I think the front three have been interchanging positions a lot less than when Messi's on the field. Um, but I think that tactically they're going to have more uh, rigidly defined roles. Um, and yeah, like like Heidi mentioned, I would expect to see um, Aitor after training with the first team to get at least some minutes on the right wing. The point of this mass is just to rest players that desperately need it, so the first-team players that have been running themselves dead should not be involved. The only people of consequence who should be in the team, I think, is Vermalen and Mathieu, who start in the middle. Otherwise, I want Douglas on the right, Adriano on the left, and the rest is all kids. And the point of the game is not to go out there and blow them up 8-0. It's fine if we go there and just have a decent win or even a draw because there's a second leg coming up at the Camp Nou, which we would then be able to take care of business. So it's just about keeping legs fresh and giving rest to the people who need it, especially Neymar, who got just thumped around and beaten all over that pitch against Ibar. It was It was frankly outrageous. <laughs> All right, well, there, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, vintage Pep Guardiola. We'll take him at the camp now and just give give the chance, give the kids a chance along along the way. Um, so, I, I mean, yeah, most likely a very comfy win and, and youth on board as well, which I think is a lovely place to leave off on this episode as well. So 
for all you listeners out there. Same time next week. And see you then.